Na 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 na. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Fortress of Proofitude, located somewhere in Lower California. Uh, Mayamo Gregorio, welcome Proof Castilians, Prooperinos, and Jenniferanos. Hello, Jennifer. Hi. Hi, how are you? Pretty good, thank you. Welcome back to the show. There's only been a seven-month hiatus. <laughs> how have you been? <laughs> well... Right? Thank you. I'm okay. Uh, the world's on fire, but let's get to the first story first. Lamont Dozier from Holland, Dozier Holland, wrote a thousand hits at Motown, and this is one. I believe it's the follow-up hit uh, to Baby Love. Uh, and uh, Lamont Dozier Holland, of course, Started writing songs as a teenager, wrote 10 million hits with um, Mr. Holland and Mr. Holland. Well, I was just going to say follow up hit to which hit, how many hits? Uh, all the hits. And uh, that's why we, if we only played Lamont Dozier songs tonight, we'd be here for four and a half hours because not only did he write that, he actually um, helped Phil Collins with Two Hearts later on, which won an Oscar. He wrote Give Me Just a Little More Time when he had his own label. But let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about this Supreme song with Lamont Dozier. Uh, well, there's a fantastic story about him having written Where Did Our Love Go for the Marvelettes, and he brought it... Really? To, yes. And, and, and so it was in uh, Gladys Horton's key. She had a lower oh, okay. voice than Diana Ross. He took it to Diana Ross and the Supremes. They didn't like it. Ah. What, is it what did he say? Ah. He said, she, Diana Ross told him, oh, honey, we don't do stuff like that. And it's the worst thing I've ever heard. Fantastic. <laughs> he said, I was shocked. I knew I was in deep trouble if I didn't hurry and get something to do the, uh, uh, someone to do the song because I wasn't about to pay for the track. I went through the Motown artist roster and went all the way to the bottom of the list. And there were the Supremes, better known in those days as the no-hit Supremes. Uh-oh. So he told... This is early 60s, before they ruled the earth. Right. He told them... I know it's hard to believe that there was yeah. a time when the Supremes didn't have a hit. He told them it was tailor-made for them, which, of course, Diana Ross... Uh, Say? For out, us? She No, she figured it out in a nanosecond yeah. that it wasn't. Um, and uh, she was so anno annoyed... Uh, she said it was in the wrong key, that it was too low. Of course it was. Since the track was already cut, she had to sing it in that key, and it, she'd never sung that low before. It turned out that her bad attitude and the low key were exactly what the song needed. Right. <laughs> um, he said he worked out an intricate background vocal for the girls, but they refused to learn it. Finally, what? I, finally, I said, just sing baby, baby, baby. So that's why they go baby, baby? <laughs> it worked to their advantage and worked perfectly. Uh, 
He said, Diana and I were throwing obscenities back and forth. She went running to Barry Gordy and told him I said something off color about him. He came down to the studio to see what was wrong. And while he was there, he asked to hear the song and he liked it. Oh, my God. The song was released and flew up the charts to number one. I was going to say, that's a number one song. From then on, one hit followed another. It was the first of 13 consecutive number ones we did with the Supremes. 13. 13. Well, I know there's a lot of people listening to the show who might be younger than me. I I don't want to say (laughs) that I'm older than you, but Mark Twain spoke at my junior high school graduation. And um, he had just changed his name to Mark Twain, by the way, from Samuel (laughs) Clemens. So... uh, this part is cutie. Oh, please. Lamont Dozier says, um, the next time the Hollands and I saw, I, I like that he calls them the Hollands. Yeah. The Hollands and I saw the girls was at the airport. The Supremes were getting off a plane with their Yorkies in mink stoles, and we started laughing. It was so funny to see them turn into stars overnight. No kidding. Uh, the reason I say I'm so much older is that uh, they were on they were television stars of the highest caliber and they were on every single variety show yes Ed Sullivan they were of so course. glamorous yeah really glamorous they always wore unbelievable high fashion and had astonishing hairdos and um, uh, Diana Ross was the, the queen I mean but they every week it was a different or you know television show and a different hit every time they came out. And then there were shows like The Supremes Meet the Temptations, where the two groups would do a whole show together, mm-hmm. and then they'd do like Broadway songs and stuff like that. The very first Jackson 5 special was Diana Ross Presents the Jackson 5, and she came out. That's how big she was. They thought she had to break them. Let's just play a couple of other Holland Dozier Holland songs. They didn't just have the 13 number one hits with The Supremes. The Four Tops... Uh, that, that wasn't enough for you? Martha Reeves, right? Uh, Band of Gold by Frida Payne, of course. Um, and they just had a million hits. But I'm going to play a couple that I think are their most magnificent hits. This is a song you'll know by the Four Tops that just has unstoppable drive. said that sometimes they would spend 18 hours writing songs. Uh-huh. One 18 song. 18 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that song, and they, of course, arranged them, too. They each had a job within the Holland Dozier Holland unit. Um, that song, I didn't realize till we just played it just there. You could hear them breathe at the end of that mm-hmm. and their vocalizations. Mm-hmm. I saw the Four Tops in the 80s, and it was still them. And I remember seeing them on Bandstand, American Bandstand for you youngsters, uh, a, man, a white man named Dick Clark had a show from 1946 till 1997 called Bandstand. And um, every week they had the hits on and they would lip sync their songs. And I remember he had the tops on in the early 70s. 
He was cut down in his prime at a thousand. He, Dick Clark uh, invented New Year's Eve. There was no New Year's Eve before him. Before that, there was an inchoate mass of numbers and no chronology whatsoever. And he ordered them into an order. And then they'd drop a ball in Times Square. And then Three Dog Night would come out and sing Shambhala. That's how New Year's was invented. I don't know if anyone knows that. I asked Dick Clark once. I got to do a morning show with Dick Clark, if you remember him. And uh, he was the squarest white dude in the world. And he'd go, hey, here's some great soul from the Four Tops. Here's some gentlemen who've been making a name for themselves in the soul business. Here they are with their new hit, Reach Out. Before he was like that. And I said to him, how long have you been in the business? And he went, I started in 1947. And then he said to me, and I swear to you, I can say this now because he's quite gone in the swirling in the heavens. Um, Greg, I'm the only non-Jew in Hollywood. And I just fucking fell over laughing. Him and Art Linklater, right? They held down the fort for the Goyam. And um, he, I was in his office once without him. Me and other people I was meeting there. And he had so much memorabilia, like rock and roll. Well, I would hope so. And hilariously, like he never had the Beatles on. Like the Beatles were never on Bandstand. The Stones weren't on Bandstand. They were bigger than that. They went on Ed Sullivan and the Hollywood Palace and all those big shows. In those days, 60s we're talking. Um... He had so much Beatles and Stone stuff. I mean, I was like, what? I thought it was all going to be Bobby V and, you know. He helped Chuck Berry. I mean, no question he put Chuck Berry and Little Richard on, but, like, I thought it was going to be the kind of schlocky, pop, bubblegum, you know, Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods, and no, it was, like, Beatles stuff. And (laughs) and I thought, you little rascal. Um, So, getting back to the Four Tops, when I saw them on Bandstand, he said to them, how do you, you know, how are you guys doing? They'd obviously met them. And Hobie, I think, um, said in the group, we live near each other and we always (laughs) have. And I thought, that is so cool Um, because Levi Stubbs, the lead singer, was also the voice of Audrey Jr. in um, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, His voice is unstoppably powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, excuse me, they all lived near each other in Detroit. And Hobie was in Berkeley and saw a cop beat a kid, remember? And he wrote um, What's Going On, the primal version of it. Mm. Went back to Marvin Gaye at Motown. Marvin Gaye took his acoustic version and turned it into the symphony that it became, which was the linchpin of Motown's greatest album, which Barry Gordy, who we just talked about, Mm -hmm. the leader of the band, Barry Gordy, who ran the show with an iron fist uh, and forced Holland Dozier Holland into a room to to make their hits. Uh, And if it wasn't good enough, I'll give it to another producer. They were like that kind of... Well, and I was looking at a photo of of, uh, Holland Dozier Holland in in, uh, their office with Smokey Robinson in case there wasn't enough Mm -hmm. songwriting talent dropping by. Oh, Marvin Gaye. Plus, we're not even mentioning all the other producers at Motown. Norman Whitfield. There was like 10 others. And Barry Gordy hated... um, what's going on and he hated that album by Marvin Gaye when it came out because Marvin Gaye says mercy mercy me the ecology and Barry Gordy said what the fuck is ecology and Marvin Gaye went you know the environment and shit and he goes what do you mean the environment he goes you know like outside pollution and whatever and he's like no one wants to hear that and then of course you watch the Motown special and he's like it's one of Motown's greatest albums and you're like yeah Uh, the Four Tops unbelievably good and then this one I picked uh, it's not uh, Martha Reeves and the Vendellas' first hit, uh, which is Heat Wave, and the one that everybody, I think, knows. I happen to love this one because if you have time to go on YouTube and look up Martha Reeves and the Vendellas, know what to run. There's a video of them. When Motown was in Detroit, they went to the Ford factory, and 
they shot them running around the Ford factory on the assembly line. And at the end, they get in a fully assembled Mustang and wave and drive off. And it's the <laughs> cutest video ever. Um, that song starts with the chorus and the chorus goes over and over and over and it's the mm -hmm. verse mm -hmm. and Reach Out I'll Be There starts with that enormous instrumental uh, gigantic swell and then when they finally get to the I'll Be There part it's so symphonic and the key of that the weird minor key that that's in um, they're songwriters of immense magnitude in so much as I don't think anyone doesn't know all these songs uh, they're like all standards well, and, and they're used again and again in soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, people love them uh, generation after generation. They just, uh, they're unstoppable. All these groups were so huge on all the TV shows in the, back in the day, too. And then when they moved to Hollywood, they were even bigger. Uh, and they left, uh, Lamont Dozier left. He actually had a recording career on his own. Yes, and, he did. And made some records as well. He's just an enormous genius of music. We, uh, well, in the way he, he discusses his songwriting abilities, it's, it's so offhand. It, he doesn't, uh, aside from talking about the, the hours put in, he's, he's pretty, uh, I mean, I guess he started so early yeah. that he, he doesn't, I think, take in how um, awesome his talent was. No, and he was a teen when he started. Also, and I love this part so much, he never fully learned to read music or score. And he listened to his grandmother playing classical music when he was little, and mm -hmm. that's where he said he got the chord structure from. But uh, we're always talking about this. Like My example is always George Clinton. George Clinton was in several groups, notably, of course, Funkadelic in Parliament, and wrote a million great funk hits and um, doesn't sing or can't read music, can't play. But that's not unusual. It's fantastic. Um, it isn't unusual. Mm -hmm. It's all about the feel of everything and, and the awesomeness of it. Lamont Dozier is swirling in the heavens. Uh, the Hollands will be joining him um, today uh, at the piano. There was a beautiful event at the White House. It was so oh my god it, it was just uh, such a tonic to see uh president obama and michelle obama there with the bidens um dr jill said it was uh, great to welcome the family that they mm. were family um you mean the family we wanted and they were there they were there for uh to see their portraits unveiled the portraits that should have been there years <clears throat> before but were denied uh, uh, Dr. Jill said the family we all built and the families across America that we served together and that's what she said she sees when she sees these two portraits uh, President Obama's portrait was done by Robert McCurdy and Michelle Obama's by uh, Sharon Sprung and 
uh, he worked on his for 18 months. I think uh, Sharon Sprung said she had been working on hers for uh, almost a year. Um, her studio is in her house, so she couldn't have people over because it was what? all a surprise. The, the, is it a secret? The, the secret portraits. portrait of Michelle Obama? Yeah, and it's it's a different group of people. It's a different association that is sponsors the the portraits that hang in the White House versus the ones that we already saw of the Obamas that are in the National Gallery. Right, right. And, the Amy Sherald one and whatnot. Right, Sherald, the, excuse the me. Candy Wiley and the um, Amy Sherald. Um, these two will be in the White House, and, yeah. the, and it's profound. Um, Michelle Obama's uh, speech today was it was so beautiful. Um, she said she talked about the traditions, the traditions that matter, the peaceful transfer of power, yeah. and what remains um, after they were in the White House. What remains are our good efforts. And then these portraits. And she said, a girl like me wasn't supposed to serve as first lady. And uh, that who decides and how things happen mm. and the po- that the, these portraits are the possibility of, of for everyone to aspire to do as much as they can to better our country. Well, and Michelle Obama and Barack Obama... We're not from wealthy families. They're from blue-collar families. What did her dad do? He ran a pump or something? Yeah, and her mom was a homemaker. And uh, exactly, in in no way were the powers that be before them uh, expecting Mm -mm. these two. Um, And the camaraderie between uh, the Bidens and the Obamas, um, how... uh, you know, they, the Obamas had their daughters there. That was their home. As yeah. she said, that the, her daughters had lived at the White House longer than they've lived anywhere. Right. Which is... They totally grew up there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just the the bond between the families. It, it was such a heartening uh, thing to see. They got, you know, obviously standing ovation. The, the White House staff was all there, uh, many of whom had been with the Obamas and now are with the Bidens. And uh, imagine everything that they'd gone through. Oh, yeah. I mean, we know what our country's gone through. I can't imagine what it was like for them um, to see things that happened in the interim. And now we know um, at the beginning... When was when we went up north? Uh, as we, we were on the road and we were listening to the radio, and we found out that the when you say on the road, that was part of that tri-state crime spree that we started right. a few weeks ago. We, we found out, speaking of crime spree, that that the owner of the omelet bar uh, resort, <laughs> resort in Florida, the, the ketchup stained omelet bar owner in Florida, that, that the, he, the, the country, the government had come in to uh, claim what was actually the government's property, yeah. that he had squirreled away in his office in cupboards in, they kept calling it a basement, but uh, it's Florida. Basements don't really occur there. What they really meant were no. there, there's tunnels. Yeah. So, you know, surprise, I looked up the tunnels uh, to the omelet bar and 
you can get in, in 2019, a teenager was on the beach decided to just peruse this tunnel and ended up in Mar-a-Lago. So what, they were like walking around the beach and saw the entrance to the uh, Omelette Mar-a-Lago tunnel? But but I don't think he he knew where he was going. And then we found out a couple weeks ago that Giuliani was staying across the street from Mar-a-Lago and was going there via tunnel. So, you know, the idea that, say, codes to some kind of, uh, or not codes, but nuclear information about a a foreign entity might be uh, next to the menu for your cheeseburger. <laughs> and, you you know, you were at the beach. You decided, hey, you know, I want right? to take a walk. I'm oh, my thirsty. God, I'm in a tunnel. Yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, hey, these look like nuclear... Yeah, these look good. <laughs> Who can I sell these? To be fair, when Giuliani went through the tunnel, it was in his rodent form. He did, yeah. he wasn't using his human form. He had, yeah. had, he'd used the, the, the rodent form to scuttle through the tunnel. No, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> this is from the day we were on the road, as you say. We actually went away together for the first time in, uh, in a long time because of, uh, you know, the lockdown. You remember the last few years. Anyway, the New York Times wrote, the results of the search showed material designated as closely guarded national secrets was being held at an unsecured resort club, Omelette Bar Lago, owned and <laughs> occupied by, uh, this is with the New York Times the, and their writing. They cannot say anything in a straightforward way. The, I'm not kidding. Mar, uh, Omelette Bar-a-Lago, owned and occupied by a former president who has long shown a disdain for careful handling of classified information. Is that how you'd put it? You know, <laughs> we were just mentioning the Obamas. Yeah. Now, imagine if the Obamas had a hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyone could wander in and they had, uh, oh, say, you know, some Chinese spies. Uh-huh. Um, some... Oh. No. Russians park their yacht nearby and, oh, and just wander to, in. Not to mention all the convicted traders who were there. Mike Flynn, uh, 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 Galapagos, what was his name? You know. The, the, yeah. And uh, like you say, Chinese spies. Yeah. I mean, for real. It's I not, know. Not, that's not an exaggeration. Um, the, yeah, I think that people might be uh, outraged. And uh, the panic now is, is I think, fairly uh, at a hot fever pitch, I think. And um, now that we know that there were, there were boxes, some of the boxes had empty folders. Some of the boxes had, I, I think there was a raincoat in one of them and, yeah. some, and yeah. some golf balls. Right, golf balls. Were they using the boxes for the Saudi golf tournament and somebody just you know how when you're next, putting, to, next to Ivana's grave? You know how in our garage I have boxes of stuff and like there'll be like a book from like the 70s and then a tchotchke or whatever. Um, a lot of times I'll put like nuclear secrets that the Chinese want to buy from me. Right, with top secret. And next to that, fake magazine covers of me on Rolling Stone and Newsweek and Ms. and uh, Playgirl. I have, a, you know, some right, of those. Right, the, the fake magazine covers. Yeah, and, and this comes at the same time as the Biden-Harris administration has had win after win with with no margin, uh, you know, no majority in the Senate. Right. A small majority in Congress. Uh, and an absolute brick wall of a Supreme Court. And somehow uh, the Biden-Harris administration has managed to get the infrastructure bill, the the awesome uh, student debt uh, 
relief, which was a uh, part of uh, Senator Kamala Harris's uh, platform. And when she was attorney general of California, she went after the fraudulent universities. And now uh, people like to skip over that and really lie about her and say she was busy incarcerating people, but she did not. But but a lot of what, which is a complete lie. She, she let people plead down their, their, if if they're talking specifically about marijuana cases, that's completely bogus because they never read further than a, you know, an inflammatory note online, and uh, they sail away with that. Um, I think a lot of people don't know her background in California. They don't want to give her all the credit that she's due. It was her um, push that made this, this student debt relief include the Pell Grant. And uh, because of this uh, loan forgiveness, one in four black borrowers now have had their full balance forgiven. That's reasonably profound, it, yeah, don't it, you it, think? It moves us, uh, you know, uh, towards a racial equity, uh, which is what the infrastructure uh, plan does, which mm-hmm. is uh, the student debt relief, um, the... Uh, CHIPS? Oh, the Inflation Reduction right, Act? CHIPS. Inflation Reduction Act, Exactly. Um, these are all things. Maybe that one because that one's really right. It it means that five hundred thousand black families will move from a negative to a positive net worth. Now, do you get why, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, and boys and girls, and proops and proopsats, and Jennifer and Jenniferees, um, why they're so angry at him? Right. Let's get to the heart of the it's, matter. It's here. real change. Yeah, it's, it's real, real change. change. And in uh, I, I wanted to to mention too that. Susan Rice, our former ambassador, who's now the current White House domestic policy advisor, it was who is a African American woman. Her mother, Lois Rice, was known as the mother of the Pell Grant for her role in helping create the program. And according to Clay Pell, whose uh, family it was named for, mm-hmm. the program would not have come into existence without Lois Rice. She was the director of the D.C. College Board, amongst many other really uh, Susan Rice's mother yeah. is the godmother of the Pell Grant. Yes, and Claire Clay Pell, who uh, so had- I mean, it underscores the importance of having these black women in the administration mm-hmm. to to address this, to uh, highlight. Uh, to spotlight the progress of Mm -hmm. uh, African-Americans and uh, specifically these women uh, who have led the cause. Doesn't it speak to uh, um, how attentive and observant and uh, and as much as LBJ and more, um, Biden is astute about and devoted to equaling everything for people in America, making the playing field equal, to listen to uh, your chief advisor and vice president because she's an expert on student debt Mm -hmm. and to go this way with it, to not do what everybody was screaming for, which was to erase all student debt, which really alleviates a lot of rich people's problems, Mm -hmm. to go with the Pell Grant way. Well, they they went, uh, they tackled... uh, student debt from uh, fraudulent universities for uh, people with disabilities, for veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, now for uh, Pell Grant uh, students and others, uh, this is for people who uh, make under a certain amount. 
Right. And it's a profound change for them. Um, it's absolutely what uh, Biden and Harris promised to do, and they have done. And uh, when you mentioned that Obamas uh, are both from uh, families that uh, working class families, uh, Biden and Harris are too. Mm-hmm. And they're acutely, they didn't, uh, Biden, neither Biden nor Harris went to uh, Ivy League schools. And this is something that they're acutely aware of um, the inequities, uh, the struggle of uh, working class families. When was the last time we had a president who didn't go to an Ivy League school? You uh, know? I mean, it's ever. And yeah. I assume Carter and Eisenhower went to military academies. Um, it's so important to have people who are blue collar. As you pointed out to me the other night, Nixon was blue collar, but then Nixon was a bent kind of guy. Um, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Joe Biden, um, and Kamala Harris all are from working class families. Huh, I sense a... And let's go even further with that thought. The Obama administration, the Obama-Biden administration, scrupulously honest. Mm -hmm. At no point did anyone have to resign under a cloud. At no point were they impeached. Even though he didn't have... As President Obama pointed out today when he was looking at his portrait, he did ask the artist to paint him in a tan suit, and the artist... (laughs) rejected that notion as he also rejected the the idea of making his ears look smaller yeah he also that was which a made me hysterical because i remember reading when michelle obama first saw a photo of barack obama she went and then when she mm-hmm. met him she said oh thank god your ears aren't as big as they look in the photo. oh my god <laughs> well thank you michelle a lot of folks think that my ears are quite large. She looked so impossibly glamorous yeah, today. Yeah, she did. It was it was really exciting to see her back there. It was awesome to see the four of them back together, and also to have um, Vice President Harris and Second Gentleman Doug there, because I really feel like you know you were saying it should have happened during the last four years, but in a way, it's better that it happened now. Because I think it lifts everyone's spirits more. And also, we're only like, what, 60-something days out from the midterms. Um, Everybody's on a roll right now. They've gotten everything passed. Um, uh, I think Democrats have proven if you give them the ball right now, uh, you know, everything's going to be better. They're going to lower prices on stuff. They're going to build roads. They're going to give you the Internet. They're going to fight for women's rights. They're going to try to they're going to try to get some semblance of gun control. Um and the other team, let's just say, you know, call a fascist a fascist, or call a semi-fascist a semi-fredo, if you will. What about a traitor a traitor? A traitor a traitor. They're not bringing nothing. They don't have any policy. They don't have any ideas. It's all, oh, they're afraid people are woke, or they're afraid a trans person well, is going to live. it really worked out for them uh, about uh, Dobbs, the, the road decision. What was it? 900,000 People voted in Kansas 300,000 more than in the presidential election against their draconian abortion ban. And for that to happen in Kansas is... A, is Kansas. It's, a, it's cataclysmic. See, we both get really tired of listening to the news and the media and everything's, oh my God, people are freaking out about inflation. No, rich people freak out about inflation because inflation doesn't affect spending. But they get hit with it, which is why it's such an issue to the media, because the giant rich people of the world demand that that be the front story. 
Um, well, inflation is an international problem. So Biden didn't create it, <laughs> and he can't solve it in a fell swoop. No. All through our childhood, if you recall, or uh, you probably don't remember, you were way too young. Really? But inflation was such a big deal during the Ford administration that we were supposed to wear buttons that said, mm-hmm. whip inflation now. I'm not mm-hmm. kidding you guys. Well, remember when we were kids, There was it was inflation, there were... Uh, it was a recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a gas shortage, water oh, yeah. shortage. Yeah. <laughs> we had a job in California. We had to sit in line for gas. You could only yeah. buy gas on other every other day. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, hmm, sounds kind of It's the. It was familiar. the Republican dream world. What yes. the Republican dream world is, is shortages, uh, an inability to get health care, an inability to get anything except firearms uh, and um and of course, always to be cruel and awful and mean to the people that you perceive as the other, which right now is, uh, as always, women, homosexuals, transsexuals, Jews, but we can go on and on and on, black people, blah. Well, today I was, I was reading um, the Mississippi journalist Ashton Pittman yes. uh, pointed out that the situation, the crisis, the water crisis in Mississippi, specifically Jackson, um, goes at least as far back as Reagan. And uh, he had this uh, a dastardly quote about, which I don't have up here right this second, um, but uh, Reagan felt like any government handout was mm-hmm. completely uh, beyond the pale, that you couldn't possibly... So what does that mean? If anyone... I thought we were a nation of states, mm-hmm. but apparently if if someone's suffering, we just cut them off. So this is... The the situation in, in Jackson is, has reached... A, well, it's been in a crisis for a long time, but it is actually... The crisis has reached uh, national news. Yeah. And uh, because Biden is in office... Uh, the head of the the administrator for the EPA, Michael Regan, is there in Jackson today, and there's photos of him with the. Do Republican. you mind if I say he's a great big hunky dude? He is, he's a, <laughs> but he he's is. A great Did you see guy. how tall he was compared to Tate Reeves, the governor of and Mississippi? Which is, which is an awesome. <laughs> he looks- yeah, because you can see that Governor Reeves is really. Oh my He can't God. handle it. He has to deal. He has to finally uh, because. Th- Money has been funneled to uh, Governor Reeves for a long time, and but he's been uh, rejecting it, mm-hmm. which is unbelievable. And now he's had to take. He's actually done the first uh, press conference with the mayor of, of Jackson, who's a Black American, and Michael Reagan, who's Black as well. And mm-hmm. he's having to take these meetings for the first time. Ever. We're looking at his picture now and his body language. He's got his fist clenched on his right hand and he's standing awkwardly like he's receiving his seventh grade valedictorian. Yeah, he looks awfully pink there. Uh, he's Like you say, he's forced to meet with him because of the magnitude of the emergency they created and have let happen. Yes. Big cities like Jackson. And by the way, it's the capital of Mississippi. Well, I remember we... Uh, what... Uh, seven years ago when we did the last podcast and we talked about the infrastructure bill, we mentioned uh, that Mississippi, that when we were driving around Jackson, that you would turn a corner and then, oh my God, the rest of the street has disappeared. There's a hole in the ground and we have to turn around. Right. Well, you know, this is part and parcel of that whole thing. And and the fact that the 
infrastructure bill passed, but some Republican governors didn't want to take the money, which is inconceivable, but it's true. Yep. The money is available to them. They have rejected it in many states. And now because there's international attention on the Mississippi crisis, he's having to buckle. I, I agree. Uh, that's exactly what's happening. And uh, fortunately, he is buckling and they're going to get, uh, you know, they're getting help now, obviously, from the federal he, government. He's such a weasel that there was a big truck in front of his house and there was there was talk uh, in the papers of was is he having water delivered to his mm-hmm, house and, right, right. and his house only. And now he's being scrutinized. So yeah. he has to actually. It's awesome. Yeah, because it really cuts to the heart of their whole nonsense, which is. Like you said, Reagan once said, the worst, the world's worst thing you can hear is someone knock at your door and say, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. Yes. Well, that's the opposite of how the government's supposed to be. The government is there to help. They're not supposed to be a bunch of thieves who just steal all the time. That was the last four years. And Reeves is part of that great tradition of really insanely white supremacist yes. southern governors. Well, and they're also, uh, he, he might uh, be marching to these all these meetings also because now we know he's been uh, that his friends are involved in a fraud uh, accepting mm, all the money for Brett Favre exactly the the football uh, star who was taking money from uh, it was a very small like 2700 mm-hmm. people who were below the poverty line were supposed to get that money during the plague and he it was stolen yeah Stolen money. And he got it. Yeah. Uh, they were stealing money during the plague, like uh, 45's administration was. They weren't funneling any of the money that's supposed to go to infrastructure to any of the places that needed it. Jackson has, what, a couple hundred thousand, 300,000 people? Um, it's the capital of Mississippi. Mississippi, of course, as we've often discussed on the show, not only did our family from there, but it's a very important state culturally to the United it States. Is. It is. Um, the whole of the South is, uh, and we, we talk about it a lot, but we'll touch on it ever so briefly, that when people go, oh, let the South secede again and stuff, you're ignoring the fact that there's lots and lots of, uh, one, black people there, uh, and secondly, like Mississippi more than almost any state. It, but also, it's not its not that, oh, they didn't vote uh, in their own interest, so we must reject them. Gerrymandering has made mm-hmm. it almost impossible for them to vote for a Democrat or someone, you know, someone that will help them out. It's been, the system has been rigged against them. Yeah, I mean, up until 1965, it was virtually impossible for a black woman to even cast a vote. Uh, anywhere in the South, but particularly Mississippi. But I mean, you, there's a lot of poor uh, people that aren't black that live all through the South too, that also have to suffer with the privation that these guys do. So I don't buy that whole, um, let the South secede and we'll be two separate countries. It was a terrible idea in 1860 and it's a terrible idea now. Apparently we don't want music or literature because Mississippi has certainly over-provided both. Uh, or food or <laughs> culture. Uh, speaking of the South, we're going to be in the South in two weeks' time. Yes, I am the king of the transition. Uh, who's live anyways back on the road? And um, by the time this goes out, we'll have already done this weekend probably. But we'll be uh, back out in September and then we're in, let's see, Vacaville on the 9th, Reno, Nevada on the 10th. <clears throat> it's difficult for me to go back to Reno, Jennifer, and I think you know why. Because I once shot a man there and it wasn't for any reason other than to just to watch him die and uh when i hear that whistle blown 
hang my head and cry. Then we're in the South. Uh, September 15th, we're in Buckhead, which is a neighborhood in Atlanta. We'll be in Atlanta on the 15th. September 16th, we're in Huntsville, Alabama, which is one of the giant tech centers of the country. I think it's the second biggest, isn't it? A lot of people don't even know that, that Huntsville, Alabama is, not only is there a giant, or was a giant Air Force base, there's there still a giant Air Force base there. Um, they changed the name of it. And it's a giant tech place with a giant aerospace museum. We'll be playing the Mark C. Smith Concert Hall on the 16th, and um, also home of good food. Then September 17th, we'll be in Memphis, Tennessee, which is another place that America could not do without. And the governor of Tennessee, also shockingly awful, as is their legislature. We'll be at the Orpheum there in Memphis, um, which is so much fun to play Memphis, Tennessee. And then the 19th, uh, September 19th, we'll be in Birmingham, uh, which, as you know, is one of the most famous sites of, in the civil rights struggle, the Lyric Theater in Birmingham. We did it a couple years ago with Dave Foley, and we're back with Ryan, and I couldn't be happier because by going out a few years ago, we were able to come back and play Memphis, Birmingham, Athens, and Huntsville again. Mm. And I think it's really important to get to those places. Then we're going to be in Athens, which, as you know, is hipster central, at the University of Georgia Performing Arts Center. So we'll be right there at the college. Um, I'm hoping uh, to do some B-52s that night for everybody. (laughs) Then uh, Drew Carey joins us. Um, at Washington State, September 24th. Where's Washington State Fair? How do you pronounce that? Pulyup. Pulyup. It's it's spelled Puya Loop. Really? P- P-U-Y-A-L-L-U-P. Pulyup, Washington. We'll be at the State Fair there with uh, Drew Carey. Um, we're not doing a show. We're, uh, You're just hanging out? Well, we're making funnel cake. And uh, I'm going to make some Nanaimo bars because, as you know, that part of the country is Nanaimo Bar Central. Have we even talked about the Nanaimo bars? I think we did. Did we? Yeah. We played Nanaimo, you guys, with Who's Live. <laughs> and um, Jeff Davis, who you've often heard of, spoken in the group from the famous Washington, D.C. taxicab story and others, uh, had never had a Nanaimo bar. And I went to a stand, a bakery, and bought some Nanaimo bars, and I handed him one. And... We left like two days later. He'd eaten like 60 by this point. <laughs> and and it's like custard and chocolate and coconut and something else. Right? Is it walnuts? Well, but describe how it, like it's layered, right? It's like a, a fudge brownie. With? A, but there's a, in the fudge custard. brownies. Custard. Custard. Yeah. And coconut. That's what, that's what brownies are missing is custard. But you grew up eating Nanaimo. Well, not eating, but you grew up having yes. Nanaimo bars. Yes, because I had relatives from Washington. Ah, and then uh, uh, our tour manager is from the Northwest. He had grew up with Nanaimo bars. Uh, Ryan is from Richmond, B.C., total Nanaimo. He said, I said, you've had a Nanaimo bar. We're in the van on the way to Nanaimo. And the, this discussion broke out. How many times were you going to say Nanaimo? Precipitated by me, right? And I said, okay, we're going to Nanaimo. Who's had a Nanaimo bar? And Jeff Davis, who's from Orange County, went, a Nanaimo bar? What's a Nanaimo? And I said to Ryan, have you had one? He went, yeah, my mom made them all the time. So if you haven't had one, look it up, and uh, they're really good. We're not back in Nanaimo, but we will be at the Washington State Fair, and here's my guess that there will be Nanaimo bars on sale there. Um, and then, then we go all over the country, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia, uh, Cleveland, Iowa, Illinois, and then excitingly, I'm going to cut to the end of the month in October. We'll be at the Town Hall in Manhattan, October 26th. And then very, very excitingly, in Hawaii for Thanksgiving, playing Thanksgiving, uh, uh, let's see, the Hawaii Theater. Oh, 
the 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving, at the Castle Theater in, in uh, Kauai. I mean, um, Maui. And uh, then on the day after Thanksgiving, the 25th, at the Hawaii Theater in Honolulu. So we have some pretty groovy dates coming up. Join us on the road. We're called Who's Live Anyway. The Great Proof Film Club is raging on. Jennifer and I showed Cabaret uh, last night. It's a spectacular film. Wasn't it great? Liza Minnelli deserved all the awards. She's just uh, phenomenal in it. And it couldn't be more on the nose as a, as a topic. Hmm. <laughs> well, since it takes place in the opening shot, or, or, or the, when the um, title comes up, says Berlin 1931. And that's all you have to know. Uh, and as I said to the crowd last night, of course, you can listen to the podcast. Um, it was a time when um, a group of uh, racist fascists were taking over, banning abortion. Um and uh, taking away people's civil rights. And it has nothing whatever to do with our current moment that we're living in. Uh, so it was, it, it's, a, it's possibly the only musical that is that trenchant mm-hmm. and absolutely deals with fascism within the context of, of romance and, and what's going on in their personal lives. Abortion, uh, drugs, um, animal abuse, uh, women's mud wrestling. Uh, it really covers the water of Nazis. Yeah, the and great song and dance. <laughs> <laughs> decadence, as she says, yeah, divine decadence. Decadence. It's a wonderful movie. And so uh, next month on the 10th. And I didn't realize she's wearing her own Aussie Clark. Is she really? Outfits in it, yes. Yeah, her uh, wardrobe Apparently there wasn't a big wardrobe budget. It, I don't think it The direction is, is just perfect. And I, that isn't something, I, you know, a financial concern doesn't really strike you at any moment because it's such a beautifully put together film the performances are so it's not the bi- it's not a big budget movie from them no. mind you in late 60s early 70s a big budget movie was still five or six million dollars or whatever and because they shot it in germany and i was reading one of the uh, dancers louise quick who's in the picture yeah, they shot it in west berlin yeah uh, she said that the people who the women dancers aside from her and another one were all german women and they got like 150 dollars a day oh, like my. no one was getting paid that much and um, the the drag artist in it was a, a drag performer yeah. in the, a local cabaret. Right, the, the artist who plays Elsie in the movie, and that part's great too. There's drag. We forgot to mention drag. There's also drag in it. So it, it just ever so briefly, it's Fosse's second film, and Coppola made The Godfather, which also was up, up for Best Picture and won against Cabaret. Cabaret won eight Oscars, and The Godfather won Brando and Best Picture. So Coppola didn't win Best Director, Bob Fosse did. Coppola had only directed, what, three or four pictures? So we're talking, they were both kids at the beginning of their career. 1972 is a phenomenal year for films. I mean, the the list is just, you know, Benuel and uh, Bergman. um, Tarkovsky. Eric Romer, Tarkovsky. Yeah, Yeah, it's just, it's an, an amazing year, a banner year. Oh my God! Every everybody, uh, even Hitchcock and Billy Wilder made movies that year, mm-hmm. and they were at the end of their long Hollywood string. Anyways, uh, uh, if you haven't seen Cabaret, it's really, really worth it. And if you think Liza Minnelli is some sort of cartoonish figure, she's not. She's an absolutely vital and fabulous. She uh, was what twenty six when she made it. Oh, um, she, yeah. She's so amazing that you're struck by the fact that you. When it came out, people weren't comparing her to her mother. 
Right, and Judy yeah. had only died three years before. And that's how singular her talent is. Yeah. And she also won an Emmy that year because uh, she did Liza with a Z, which was just her singing and dancing and being fabulous for an hour and a half with Bob Fosse directing that too. And they also he also won an Emmy for it. Um, no, she's amazing, and, uh, and it's well worth a watch. As I said last night, they always talk about 1939 because Stagecoach and Doddsworth and Wizard of Oz and all that came out. And no, no question, 1939 is an amazing year in film. 1972, I think, holds its own. To show the film uh, this close to the midterms, at the end of the film, uh, the audience last night, they were real quiet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think because uh, we know what we've got to do. We've got to, to yep. show up and, and make sure that uh, we keep the peace, we keep the transition. Um, yes. I, I have to uh, allay people's fears that, you know, things are happening and uh, over 800 people have been charged in the insurrection and uh, it takes a long time. Somebody got 17 and a half years last week. Yeah, this um, things are happening. Uh, Steve Bannon is uh, being charged. I believe he's turning himself in as yeah, we tom- speak tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Um, there's a grand jury that is, uh, you know, working its way through subpoenas uh, in the case of the, you know, omelet bar. But there's also so many others. There's the New York case, the Georgia case. Mm-hmm. Things are happening. I, I, because of all of that, I was looking up uh, our, our uh, the president that should have been Hillary Clinton. Ah, uh, yes. She's had a great week this week. And she, when she was working on the Watergate case, um, she was one of three women. She was one of three lawyers. Mm-hmm. She was 26 years old, and she was working with the Children's Legal Defense Fund when she joined the impeachment inquiry staff. Um, she was three uh, one of three women amongst 43 lawyers on the staff and had the title of counsel. Um, any lawyer in the country would have wanted to work on this, recalled a colleague. The job sought after you. You didn't seek the job. She was a very good lawyer and very, a very willing worker and an exceedingly pleasant person to work with. Um, how phenomenal is it that she was working on the Watergate case? Yeah. And let's just talk about all the things that have been hung on her over the years, that she's unpleasant, that she's shrill, that she's a pedophile, all the craziness that the Republicans insist on projecting on everyone. Well, it is projection, isn't it? She's exactly the opposite of all those things. She's competent, honest, sane, and cares deeply about children, as do almost all of the Democrats, whereas you'll find almost every week another Republican official is plucked off for some sort of heinous, heinous crime. Uh, there's there's so many of them being uh, rounded up and named that it's it's sort of hard to keep track. And as as they keep saying, you know, the lawyers, the the 45s lawyers need lawyers. Oh yeah, because they're all scoundrels. The 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 lawyers in the um, uh, Mara Lago uh, the bar omelet bar Lago uh, stealing purloining nuclear secrets case signed off to the FBI that they'd given them all the evidence. And so they're in trouble up to their eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's the thing. 
everybody's not going to go to jail for a thousand years and everybody's not going to be executed in the public square or made to wear stocks so you can throw food at them. But there is going to be jail sentences and people go to jail. I'll remind you a million for the millionth time that the attorney general of the United States went to jail in Nixon's administration and uh, uh, Oliver North went to jail. I mean, a lot of people mm-hmm. have gone to jail over the years from Republican administrations mm-hmm. for all their horrible crimes. Uh, Haldeman went to jail. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy was in jail for five years. I mean, like I say, everybody's not going to get a life sentence. And by the way, putting them in jail is just the first step. Winning the election is as important as putting them all in jail because democracy doesn't get saved by putting bad guys in jail. Democracy gets saved by having more democracy. Yes. So it's difficult to build and preserve a democracy. Um, People who are clamoring to, you know, why isn't so-and-so arrested? Why isn't this happening? Well, there's a process. And if we don't abide by the process, what do we have? I mean, the thing that we have to pay attention to is things like Alaska. Alaska, of all places, elected their first indigenous congressperson, Mary Peltola. And she's a Democrat. Mm Mm-hmm. A Democrat in Alaska now, like, 40 years, like, was it? like the uh, uh, special election in Kansas, no one saw this coming. Mm-hmm. And by no one, I mean no one that was on the ground paying attention to anything. Yeah. But um, it's so very exciting that there's an indigenous congressperson from Alaska, the first one. Right. From Alaska, which has many tribes. Yeah. We've waited 60 years, for 62 years for this. Also, they're not a democratic state. It's heavily male. And they did that ranked choice voting there, which is, I'm not going to explain it. You can go watch an old Rachel Maddow episode <laughs> if you want it explained. But in, in essence, people finish first, second, third, and that's how they win the primary. Not the way you would vote here, which is a Democrat wins a primary, a Republican wins a primary. Then they go face each other in the, in the main And they thought that they were going to really pull a fast one on the Democrats by doing that. And they and then Sarah, two Republicans, one Democrat, Sarah Palin popped up her ugly head again. And I don't mean to say she's an ugly person. Her personality is vile beyond measure. She really is a homophobic, white supremacist, awful human being and a terrible administrator. Mm -hmm. And and the same as the rest of them lives in a fantasy world, a fantasy world where Trans people are hurting you, um, but you don't need to give money to people to eat that world. So they ran her, they stood her and the other cat, uh, and they canceled each other out. And now she's on TV this week complaining. They didn't want her. And she She was was rejected by the voters. She was shocked because she thought that she was so well known that it was a foregone conclusion. And her look at her campaign. Headquarters. Oh my goodness! Fairly humorous to behold because she wasn't prepared. Oh my God! No, the whole thing was so so low rent, and she is famous. There's no question about that. Her name recognition is off the charts, but at the same time, she's unelectable now because I think everybody sees through, and she's going through the same route that they all go through now. And by they, I mean Republicans. I was on uh, the internet today and she was bitching out loud on TV. America should be really upset about what happened in Alaska. Here's the deal. America's not upset. America's making a huge statement. (laughs) Every single special election that's happened, uh, the Kansas one, the New York one, um, and now uh, um, uh, Alaska's primary, 
uh, Democrats are winning. Women are registering to vote because of the Dobbs decision against women to ban abortion in record numbers. What sways elections at the end of the day in this country is if everybody votes. If everybody votes, there's never going to be another Republican in office. Right, we move forward. To, to be real boring about it, and I hate numbers, the 70 million people that voted for 45 represent one-third of the electorate. In other words, two-thirds of the electorate, one-third was heard from that voted for Biden, one-third was heard from that voted for 45, and another whole third didn't do anything. That's what we're talking about here, to get those people to go over. Well, and, and you know, to, to the question of why things aren't moving as smoothly as they could in the legal world uh, going after the treasonous traitors is when we didn't have Hillary Clinton as president, we lost all those judicial slots and we lost the Supreme Court. And it is as simple as that. And that's why it's so heartening that the Biden-Harris administration has gotten so much done. And how many people have they put on the court, Jennifer? Seven seventy. It's it's. Oh, 76, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. And they're they're on their way to confirming the first Asian American in the 7th district, which I think is Texas. Right. First Asian American. Yeah. So, oh. so we're still on the first. Oh, no, you know? no. He, he is uh, abiding by his promise to make the most diverse court mm-hmm. that's representative of America has he even put but a few white men on the mm-hmm, court? Mm-hmm. Only a couple, three. Main, mainly women, uh, mainly black women. Yeah, it's it's just he promised to do it. He also promised to put a black woman in executive office, which he did. So now you guys and on the Supreme Court, at, right? We have a black woman on the Supreme Court and a black woman who sits in the White House. You guys, and if you think the other team was going to do that in I, a real big hurry, they weren't. And. Uh, Vice President Harris is going to Japan and South Korea next week. She's our, you know, our brilliant ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everybody just, wants to meet her, too, yeah, like Hillary. She's yeah. got that kind of jam. Yeah, she's delightful. Um, President Biden gave a speech last week, uh, which is on the White House's internet uh, website, and it's called The Soul, Battle for the Soul of the Nation. And he really... Uh, called a traitor a traitor in the speech. He said that you can't just be on uh, for America when you win. And he really discussed how important it is to have free and fair elections and that when one side of the country, and I don't say half because it isn't half. I hate the whole media thing of both sides are the same, they're two sides of the same coin. They aren't. They're addicted to that, though. But one side of the coin is, is, is nice people who want to give money to, like, build the Internet and have water. And the other side is people who want to say, I need guns and I don't like women. That's not the same coin. Right. And I look forward to living on Mars and we're <laughs> buying an underground bunker. Right? I mean, what is the end game if you don't want to if I have your to live fellow in, man? If I have to live in space with Jeff Bezos <laughs> and that fucking cowboy hat, I'm going to kill myself. I would rather... And I'm not going with Elon Musk in the supercar, and I'm not going with Peter Thiel in that fucking cowboy hat. They're, but you, like you always say, they're out of their minds. Zuckerberg and Thiel, and, and these are only the ones we know about. There's richer ones way behind the scenes, the Cokes and the, the, the Spencers the and all that. The funds the Federalist Society, yeah. for instance. Oh, right, who just gave a billion six to Leonard Leo or whatever, Hay or whatever his name was from, from Illinois. They're lunatics, and it's because they think the one yes. thing they did that made them rich makes them insightful, powerful, and have some sort of... They, uh, they think that their luck 
translates mm-hmm. into genius somehow. Right. And they don't even have what the robber barons had uh, in, at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century is when you had your Rockefellers, your Ford, Carnegie, DuPont, whatnot. The reason why they all set up these giant charities was so that, as our old buddy Warren Thomas said, throwing the public a bone so we don't get their shit burned to the ground. Chevron Oil had killed a bunch of miners, or what would they call them as a standard oil. Uh, Rockefeller owned a mine in Ludlow, Colorado. Uh, they went on strike because they were tired of being starved to death while they were working and dying in the mine. And he sent a bunch of people and wiped out the town, including women and children. And it was such a bad publicity moment for the Rockefellers that they hired the very first PR person named Ivy Lee and he said what you need to do is endow the University of Chicago start an enormous charity and then put your name on everything and so that's why everything in the world is named after rich people not because they had a charitable impulse because they were covering up the multitude of their crimes but Bezos and these guys don't even do that they just give money directly to like Teal gives money directly to the Republican Party so he's in a huge fight and this is delightful This is where the delightful part of what's going on comes in. McConnell and him are literally screaming at each other over who he should give his billions of dollars to. That's how in disarray this group of (laughs) knuckleheads is. When you have the best people you can have run for office, Senator of the United States, or Herschel Walker, Dr. Mehmet Oz, Mm -hmm. and J.D. Vance, you're really scraping the bottom. Herschel Walker was an awesome football star. No question. If you watched him play... He was superb. Does he have skill as a senator? None at all. None at all. No more than my cousins do. My cousins should not have the levers of power in their hand. Herschel Walker should be nowhere near the government. Dr. Mehmet Oz, we've seen, is a lunatic. A lunatic. So, but this is what they've got. Like, we are putting people forward that are uh, uh, really, really accomplished and beautiful. And when you look at the 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 type of candidates, particularly California, which has a deep bench. Uh, Robert Garcia here, the people who've gone from being mayors to Congress mm-hmm, people in the mm-hmm, state of California. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's exciting. We might pick up three more congressional seats in California. Right. And Rudy. we already have a supermajority. One of the things that I don't think we ever mentioned on the podcast is that happened in L.A. Uh, that was so beautiful was going towards redressing a wrong from the 1920s, 1930s, right. when a black family who owned a resort uh, just south of Santa Monica had their land taken away. And the current board of supervisors, who were all women, yes, uh, specifically uh, Janice Hahn, uh, devised a plan where the, fam- the land would... Uh, be, go back to that family, the Bruce family. It was called Isn't it amazing? Bruce's Beach. And now the city has to lease from the Bruce family that mm-hmm. land. Isn't it astonishing that um, there were all it's those... It's never been done before right. in, in America. I think that this is the first time. And they, they spent a, a, a good two years trying to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. But uh, they had a ceremony... Um, uh, maybe two months ago, right. where the 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 Bruce family were there, they no longer even live in California. No, they were now, driven from here. Exactly, and and it it's just it's profound. Black people owned a great deal of waterfront property in those days, a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, and mm-hmm. it was taken, basically mm-hmm. taken from them. There was no big buyout or anything. 
And this is, uh, California is going a long way, though, I think, in trying to redress a lot of things. First of all, we have free lunch here mm-hmm. for every student in school. Mm-hmm. And you might go, well, who cares about free lunch? A lot of times people don't eat it at all if they don't get to have a free lunch. They're also uh, going to make uh, reproductive rights part of the California Constitution. I mean, we're making our own little duchy here. Not that it hasn't uh, been that way for quite some time, but I mean, I think it's like fumigating Reagan's memory yep. from the state of California well, but Reagan, and making it right. Reagan was the same kind of governor as he was president, heartless. Yes. Uh, he closed the mental hospitals and all that jazz. Um, they're trying to pass a, a group uh, a, through a bill through the Senate that would make a, um, a new... Uh, entity called the LA County Affordable Housing Solutions Agency, which is going to be a huge factor here. Uh, We have billions of dollars in kicking around this state and Newsom's really spending it on stuff. And I think uh, homelessness is the biggest problem for a lot of people, especially in Los Angeles, but all over California. We have a city's worth of home of people without housing. Yes. And gradually now this year, in the next few months, they're going to put a couple, four or 5,000 people in houses or homes rather. Uh, and that's the thing I think that is really going to get worked on and is the big issue in our mayor's race, mm-hmm. which Karen Bass fantastically has swooping into a lead here. Thank God. We don't want to get overconfident. Now. I believe that the media really can't live and exist without the horse race narrative. As Eric Baylor, the great journalist who passed away last year untimely, used to say, Everything's a contest with prizes at the end. That's mm-hmm. what the news is. Oh my God, uh, 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 45 might run again for president and he might win. And if he wins, he gets the prize of winning and then they'll have control. And if Biden runs, he might lose and they might lose the. But that's always how it's couched. Um, but the truth is, I think they're in a free fall right now. <laughs> because they haven't done one goddamn well, how thing. Did it, how did it look for the, for the the news to uh, be negative in any way about Biden's speech from uh, Philadelphia, when then we find out that there's a trove of of uber mm-hmm. top secret documents, documents that impact all of us around the world that have, you know, just they're, they're missing. And they were last seen uh, near some kind of filthy ketchup ridden. Credit, I'm at Bar Lago. Why is But you were saying uh, to me the other day, um, you know, this is getting worse and worse. The stealing the nuclear secrets, this, that. Uh, uh, they don't have anything but to blame Biden for being mean, which is basically what they're doing now. Or for. Uh, overly dramatic color scheme behind him. Right. As though that matters a whit. The news was saying he used Marines and he shouldn't have used Marines. Every single president it has been proven photographically has always had Marines behind them. That's what the president does. The Marines are the president's guard. And and more to the point, we had a, a scoundrel. A repugnant scoundrel. Does anyone remember when he gassed Americans in the streets and then a a concussion bombed a whole neighborhood in D.C. where a legal protest was taking place and marched out and was handed a Bible by his daughter and stood in front of a church? Which he didn't know how to hold. Because he'd never held a Bible. Well, he was worried that it would burst into flames. (laughs) Exactly. The last guy was evil incarnate and continues to be evil. And Biden said the other night, um, he has no intention of ever having another free and fair election. It's not normal. He's a clear and present threat to democracy. Yes. So if that's not clear to you. And going back to uh, Secretary Clinton warned us about all that. 
Oh, Hillary my Clinton warned us about all of it. And then as Speaker Pelosi said, with him, all roads lead to Russia. Yeah. She, uh, Hillary specifically said he should never be allowed anywhere near our nuclear arsenal. Yep, she and did. now we know that. Yeah. Oh, I know what you were going to say to me that I meant to say that you said to me the other day, a bunch of agents have been hit and, yes. and, and killed and um, terrible things have happened because of the secrets he stole. Yes. And we know this for a fact. There was a spike in it after he stole the secrets. So, well, we don't know it for a fact, but we can definitely presume well, that that's what happened. We're going to know it for a fact, I think, in the next year. Yeah. I don't think this is going to... And by the way, this whole he's going to run again and he's going to decide to tell you when he's going to run because he has all the cards and stuff. He's in so much trouble. Lawrence O'Donnell said it the other night on MSNBC, and it was my favorite thing any journalist has said in the last two months. Every day is worse for 45. He Yay! doesn't have a better day. Yay! He doesn't wake up the next day and go, man, I really handled this one today. His troubles get worse and worse and worse each day. And each day that it's revealed that more and more secrets were withheld, stolen, purloined, bluffed, blocked. It doesn't matter that there's a right-wing judge in front of the case. That's only one judge in the comprehensive ocean of judges that he's going to have they, to face. They can try to stall things, but, it, you know. No. The, the kitten is out of the caboodle. <laughs> totally. And, uh, to mix every metaphor, the wheels grind slowly, but when they sluice down the gold mine, there's going to be a carpet at the end. Um, no, he's in deep, deep trouble, and it's not going away. And believe me, he's not going to announce between now and the next two months before the midterms that he's going to run again. Because they've already attached 45's name to the whole midterms. By by giving the speech in Philly the other night, he basically said every single Republican who doesn't want to be attached to 45 has got to declare themselves and say, I won. Elections are real. Parsing that was, was mm -hmm. really uh, awesome. So the one albatross they have that cost them the election in 2020, that cost them the Senate, the Congress and the presidency in 2020 is him mm -hmm. and he's still attached to them and he won't go away and his oh I'm going to announce I'm going to do this no you're not because literally their internal polling has them howling at each other Rick what's his hell Skeletor from Florida Scott Rick Scott absconded with what, what was it oh my God, 50 182 million dollars <laughs> they, they raised and it's gone they have nothing ahead of the midterms they've been they, they were supposed to have ad buys oh. in various states and they haven't they mm -mm. haven't come through with it because they've run out of money. So our little buddies. So uh, what are the Koch brothers just, or there's one yeah. brother left. Are they just resting on their uh, fake sheriff badges somewhere? <laughs> and Mercer is on his owl yacht right. collecting urine <laughs> because they're all freaks. Right. Musk is in his mini sub getting ready to get in his mini car. Uh, Peter Thiel is just, uh, who moved out of the Bay Area because it was too liberal. <laughs> what? <laughs> Couldn't you build like a little fortress of Nazitude and just live there? My goodness, I, the Bay Area is full of little right-wing pockets. Could it, Really? When you have that kind of money and you're still afraid of how everyone's nice? Someone might come up and say hi. I was going to say. And I'm not for right, that. I, this, these cookies are for everyone. I don't like cookies that are for everyone. I like cookies that are for me and me alone, and I decide who gets them. Um, yeah. I think they're crumbling, uh, but I don't want to get overconfident. So go to vote.org, register to vote. When you talk to your crappy redneck relatives, you know, 
try to work on the good side of this. Like point out a lot of good things are happening and like they're going to get the internet in their crappy town and they're going to get a new um, road that goes through their town and their little airport's going to be better and everything's going to be better. All the things we should have done 30 years ago, but because Reagan finagled that election against Carter, all that got wiped out. Well, and also how about not letting your... uh fascist relatives slide on their incremental uh, Nazi ideas. Call them out. I was just taking pictures with them, Jennifer. I didn't know they were going to wear MAGA hats. We were just having a party. It was just a birthday party. Right? I know the hot dogs were red, but I didn't know everybody was going to wear a red hat. I just, uh, well, I love the idea that things aren't political. Um, But I mean, you know, it's not a matter of getting them to be liberals or anything like that. It's simply a matter of getting them to vote for people who believe that elections happen. Mm -hmm. Because the other people that are, they call them election deniers, but that's not what they are. There are people who, if an election takes place and they don't win, the election didn't exist. And they're starting from, oh my God, I've been hard done by because the terrible system the one that was put into place by white slaveholders 200 and some odd years ago has somehow barfed me back up. Uh, well, I think you have to call them on, do you want to live on the Bundy Ranch? Or, right. Or do you want to have some semblance of humanity? I mean, the nutcases that are running on their side, uh, the Kerry Lakes, I'm not going to, I hate when people pluralize. Kerry Lake, J.D. Vance, Masters in Arizona and Lake. Um they're all backing off their stances, you've noticed. They've all removed their anti-abortion stuff from their websites. Taking it down from their websites is kind of a tell, isn't it? They're afraid women are going to vote against them. Uh, it was a, that great stanchion of justice, Bill Barr. Although, what, what would be the, you know, the last straw for white men? That doesn't nothing. seem to... <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Look, Joe Rogan told everybody to vote Republican two weeks ago on his podcast. Well, I'm Greg Proops, and this is my wife, Jennifer, and we're telling you to vote Democrat. I know that we don't have the kind of pull that Rogan has, and thank God a lot of Rogan's listeners aren't listening, but if there is any crossover, and he's wrong. Uh, you're, you're not going to get anything if you vote Republican. Yes. You literally won't. Not only will you not get anything, you're in danger of losing everything you have. Because it is almost certain they'll do what W did and what Reagan did and what um, 45 did. And that's drive the economy of the United States into the dirt. Mm-hmm. And then the next Democratic president will have to come along and dig it out and I'm not you know there's yeah we can talk about the existential thing is there won't be an America anymore if we all lose in that I don't think that's going to happen what it's going to happen is I think we need to vote in our droves to make sure that we keep the Senate and the Congress and the presidency two more years of this you've seen how much they've got done literally Biden waited it bided his time he got the infrastructure bill through with Republicans but this year and what are we into August eight months Look at the last four months, how mm-hmm. much has happened. And that can happen even more and in a more accelerated rate for two more years. And then we'll talk about winning another election. And no, 45 is not going to run again. He lost so brutally in 2020. Well, and and where, where's the money coming from for, you know, it's it, 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 each day, it, it, even his, you know, the evil henchmen don't want to uh, add to that. No. <laughs> Rove said That's that he stole goods. Deplorable. Barr said that he stole. Yeah. Barr said yet today that the DOJ should um, contest the judge's ruling and ask 
Barr, the most corrupt and attorney general of all One time. of the former RNC chairmen is back up before uh, the courtroom uh, next week. Awesome. Tom Barrack. Oh, Tom I mean, Barrack. So, I mean, they just keep being indicted again and again for their, you know, the hundredth crime. Right. And the Georgia case isn't over, you guys. I know that they pushed off Kemp's, uh, the Governor Kemp's uh, uh, testimony until after but they're still all voting on the same referendum there. So if you're in Georgia, we need you to think about voting for Reverend uh, Senator Reverend Warnock. If you're in North Carolina, um, Sherry Beasley, the judge, Judge Beasley. If you're in Ohio, Tim Ryan mm-hmm. over J.D. Vance. Mm-hmm. If you're in Pennsylvania, yes, I'm going to say it, John Fetterman. You have to vote mm-hmm. for him against Mehmet Oz. Mm-hmm. John Fetterman wasn't my first choice, but I'm a, I'm a loyal Democrat. Okay. And I'm moving over to him and I'm putting my hopes on him because Dr. Mimidaz would be a nuclear disaster yes. for Pennsylvania. And in, in Florida, former Republican Charlie Crist for governor. Yep. And uh, Val Demings for yes. senator over yes. Marco Rubio. And Mark Kelly in Arizona. Mark Kelly has to rewin his seat in Arizona over Blake Masters, who's one of America's great election deniers. And uh, oh my goodness, I've forgotten the name of the woman. Uh, let me... Well, um... Hobbs. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Hobbs in Arizona over um, Kerry Lake. Uh, Peter Deasy's leaving. He's had his two terms of destruction. And uh, if Hobbs in Arizona and Kelly in Arizona, very, very important. And, uh, you know. Isn't it Katie Hobbs? Katie Hobbs. What did I say? You didn't. Oh, yes, it is Katie <laughs> Hobbs. Well, we know we did a um, uh, The Who's Line guys, um, me, Ryan, uh, Aisha. Uh, Naima Funk and Gary Anthony Williams did a fundraiser for the state of Arizona's Democratic Party about three weeks ago. And thank you for the people who joined us for that. It was really good fun. And we talked to some awesome state reps there. And then, of course, we did the Michigan one and spoke to the lieutenant governor, the secretary of state and the attorney general of Michigan joined us on that show. Last year, uh, before the election, we had Reverend Warnock on our show. So we've met uh, Congressman Murphy from Florida, who sits on the January 6th committee. We've talked to Reverend Warnock, who's a senator now. We've uh, um, we've had conversations w- with the Who's Line guys on all these different fundraisers for several different states, Michigan, uh, uh, Jocelyn Wisconsin, Benson. Arizona. What'd you say? Jocelyn Benson. Jocelyn Benson, uh, who you see on telly all the time now, and Georgia IA. And we're going to do one for California in November. I don't have the date settled yet. It'll probably be the week before the election. And um, almost all of us live in California. We Rye doesn't, but we do. And um, you say to yourself, why California? Uh, what Don't they have the most money? Isn't it a foregone conclusion? Here's some if if California can pull three or four more congressional seats onto the Democratic side, literally it tilts the entire country Mm -hmm. and the odds go up of a way bigger majority in the Congress than the seven majority we have now. Let's see. Do we want Speaker Pelosi or election denying traitor Kevin McCarthy? Right. uh, um, So it's really important in California as well. I met with the chair of the Democratic Party of California because Jennifer and I go to these political... Did we talk about going to the Biden thing? No, we well, haven't talked let's about t- that. We'll, we'll, we'll go backwards. We'll start with this. And his name is Mr. Hicks. And um, Mr. Hicks and I had coffee. And we talked about how important it is. And this is what he told me. Jennifer and I went to an event uh, that was a Joe Biden 
fundraiser in LA and um, Congressman Schiff was there mm-hmm. and um, uh, Jamie Harrison is the national Democratic chair and this is how I got hooked up with the California Democratic Party they didn't call me you guys we <laughs> Jennifer does the work so we went and did the work and then we got hooked up with them when I had coffee with Mr. Hicks he was at that event and he got to meet President Biden he had, didn't know him, mm-hmm. even though obviously he represents 40 million, you know, or whatever. How many? What's the electorate here? 25 million people. Yeah. And President Biden came up to him and said, oh, the Democratic chair of California. God love you. That's the worst job in politics. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. And he said it's because everybody thinks it's a foregone conclusion here, but it isn't. Rick Caruso had a very tight primary with Karen Bass here. When we were Republican, which we were up till about eight years ago, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger, we had Pete Wilson, we had some dreadful governors, and the state literally went to hell. The infrastructure fell apart, our economy failed. Um, uh, Bush managed to try to sink us too in 2008. California had hit really hard, and now we're we're, yeah. we're huge again. The economy's back again. Well, yeah, we have a load of problems. We're a big state. Governor Newsom, uh, you know, is since uh, the failed recall, which they wasted so much money on, he he's just going, you know, blazing, yeah. trying to pass uh, progressive legislation. It's actually, according to this, 22 million Californians are registered to vote. 22 million. So I'm not begging. I'm just saying when we do this California one, it's good fun. We riff and we skiff. Aisha's a dedicated uh, um, Democrat, as is Gary Anthony Williams and Naima Funk. And Ryan, uh, earlier in the last year, two years ago, said to me, I said, I'm going to put all these benefits together. And he said, I will do anything you put together. So all of us are really committed. Isn't that great? Colin couldn't do it because Colin had a, a rehearsal for his and off-Broadway show. by the way, show. Colin's Canadian. Colin lives in Toronto and is Canadian <laughs> and has done all of these. And Dave Foley did them too, and he's Canadian. That's beautiful. But uh, Dave lives in America and pays taxes. Colin, of course, pays taxes here too, but... Uh, it loves America so much that he will do these benefits with us. He'll probably be on the next one. And even though it's for California, I want you to come and I want you to give some money because we've got three or four congressional seats here that if we can pick them up, it'll really mean the big difference all around the country. Well, it, then then we get more legislation it, passed. I don't like I mean, the idea. It's as simple of, as that. Right. I hate the whole selfish thing of I want my place to be better and I don't care about your place. I want Iowa to be a better place. I want Mississippi to have lights. It's important. The places we go, West Virginia, places like that, there's dire poverty and there's bad infrastructure. And it can be solved. It just takes an enormous effort of will. And the only way it's going to get solved is if we win. It's not going to get... Otherwise, as you say, they're going to be... We're going to be riding the mini sub <laughs> down to the, the urine collection bin on the, the Spencer's yacht while an owl howls in the distance. And then we'll all fight it out over the last, you know, <laughs> um, Oreo cookie, double stuff. Not pumpkin spice. <clears throat> Please not. Where are we going now? Well, you know, we haven't mentioned Serena. Serena oh, let's please. We did Bill Russell for a year last time. Serena Williams. It was her, <clears throat> her last tourney. Uh, she she made her appearance at the U.S. Open. Um, she made it through the first three rounds, and it was action packed each match. Um, the first one they had uh, it set up so that if she uh, 
lost to her opponent that she that there would be a, a celebration for Serena Williams's career afterward. But then, of course, she won that first match. Yeah. Uh, Billie Jean King was there to congratulate her. And uh, as the greatest player and uh, in tennis, um, what a, a loss. I think when, when we watched the, the third... Uh, yeah, the third match third where she played the Australian-Croatian woman. And everyone was uh, really taking in how what a big figure she was in tennis, how much is lost by her leaving, but how awesome to then see Coco Goff head into the semifinals yeah. as, as well as um, Francis Tiafe. And um, he, he's uh, from Maryland. He's 24 years old. He's going to be the, the youngest man in the semifinals in ages, but also he's the first black man at the U.S. Open semifinals since Arthur Ashe in 1972. Isn't that scandalous? And he's going to be playing in the Arthur Ashe uh, stadium. So, I mean, it's just, it's kind of wild. I mean, the uh, Serena and her sister forged such a path for others. It, they've made tennis look different um, with their their grace and their prowess. They've mm-hmm. just uh, uh, made it so exciting. Um, her game, she, I, I love that she came out in sparkles, you know, oh, yeah. crystals and, and diamonds and uh, did her twirl. It, it was exciting, and she was so gracious. The fact that she's uh, she and her family from from uh, L.A. from uh, Compton to now, speaking of working class, they yes. really didn't come up through the rich five member tennis. family yeah. in a two bedroom house. Yeah. No, she's astonishing. It it was watching someone who is finishing up a, a career that changes everything um the inconceivable influence that her and venus have had on tennis tennis is so lily white and was always so um you know tradition bound in the the horrible sense of tradition well to see billy jean king uh there to congratulate serena williams billy jean king had to fight for women to even get paid yeah in the early days of her career in Wimbledon, they weren't even given hotel space. No, she stayed with friends when she won the 66 yeah. Wimbledon. Yeah. And didn't get any prize money. No. She's the one who fought for prize money. And Serena is just one of those Leviathan figures in sport. Not only is she have a wonderful personality and has been deemed... You met her. I did. Uh, I think the criticism that's been weighed against her over the years for wearing too colorful of outfits or maybe arguing a call, when you think of the amount of unbelievable entitled asshole guys that have Is argued... Djokovic? Even McEnroe? Uh, what's his name? Krigius threw a fit yesterday. He threw two rackets. It was horrible. Uh-huh. It was, it was so, horrible. Yeah, it's just... And, and that, you know, and then he's allowed... Oh, yeah, he's a hero. Yeah. So it, it's all racism, that. And, and Serena's... Um, and Venus have both flown over that, I think. And Serena is a titanic figure in American sports and world sports, let's be honest, because tennis isn't an American thing. Tennis is absolutely international. When you and I were watching the match, we were talking about people all over the world are listening and watching to this match because she is, I hate comparing athletes to other athletes, but she's Pele or she's Billie Jean King Mm -hmm. or she's Muhammad Ali, the, the kind that have that stride the continent's 
Well, and it's it's kind of wild because in in the same year, Allison Felix retired. Right, Allison Felix. Another giant. Well, we could spend a whole episode on her. She's the greatest American track star. And again, Serena wrote uh, Althea Gibson, who was the first great black woman star that got to play in the big tourneys and won a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And Althea Gibson helped her and was Mm -hmm. kind to her. Um, All the great uh, women track stars of the 50s and 60s that had to fight and fight and fight that won Olympic medals led us to Allison Felix, who's the greatest American track star of all time. She's absolutely superb. Um, a zillion Olympics, a zillion medals, ha- like Serena, had a baby and kept playing. Mm-hmm. And she hung them up this year, too. So, it, it, like you say, it's been an amazing year. And here's my Serena story. We did a show in England called Trust Us With Your Life. And the premise was, uh, hilariously, we were going to take celebrities. And then me, Jonathan Mangum, Wayne Brady, and Colin were going to act out their lives. Okay? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> and we were going to improvise their lives. And so one of the episodes we did, I'm leaving out all the other celebs because who cares, was Serena. And so she wore a skirt on the night. Why do you say this, Greg? Because I want to talk about it. And she wore Christian Louboutin shoes. And we got up and pretended to be her mom and her dad and all this. And we did all, and we did a rap song, which was more oh humiliating than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and then I met her and she was with Common at the time. That's how long ago it was. The, the rapper who's tall and great looking. And um, uh, an actor and author. Uh, They're they're all very accomplished. And um, so when we were on the set, at one point we were all taking pictures. And there's a picture, one picture finally. And I'm looking at Serena and everybody else is looking out. And I got to touch her. I touched her. And um, she's beautiful, shorter than you think uh, in person. She's really beautiful. And she had on these big red Louboutin pumps. And so I walked over to her and I said, Serena, have you had a chance to shop? I go, are those Louboutins? And she went, yes. And I said, have you had a chance to shop? Because I thought, well, she's not here to play this week. She's here to do this TV show. Mm -hmm. And she went, no, I haven't. (laughs) And um, then uh, we chatted afterward at the after party and all this. And what I wanted to say about her was, she's ebullient in person. Um, Like they used to say about uh, all the all the great charismatic people that you would meet that are performers or athletes, she lit up the room. Like, she really is that person. She gave off warmth and energy and was really kind and nice. And believe me, what we did of the improv of her family was yeah. not for human consumption. <laughs> it was some really weak-ass shit. And it was not something I'm inordinately proud of. Thank God the show got pulled after like <laughs> six episodes. Was, but she was nice about it? She was superb about it. She laughed at our jokes and she kept a huge smile on her face. And then when we all had drinks after... You know, I got to stand and talk to her, and I was overawed because it was the best thing that happened that week. You were there that week, but we got to—I got to meet Serena, and she's everything they say and more. Um, and I'll always—I'll always remember that that I got to meet her, and not only that, that she was couldn't have been more engaging and friendly. Like it, 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 she wasn't sullen or sulky or all the things they always try to lay yeah. on her. I yeah, if how about that? that? How about that? Huh. Serena Williams and Alice and Felix are everything. And they're great, great Americans. Let's be real honest about that. Yes. Um, Brett Favre <clears throat> and Tom Brady <clears throat> and some of the other athletes might think about being better people if they wish. 
And Austin, Felix, and Serena don't have to think about it because they are yeah. better people. So, uh, speaking of uh, legendary and great Americans, Mabel John um, is swirling in the stars. Uh, she was the first woman solo act, because everything's Motown tonight with us, signed by Barry Gordy. By the way, she was not a kid. Uh, she was 91, so it was a triumph, as they say. Fantastically, her little brother was Little Willie John, who is, if you know anything about R&B and the blues, Little Willie John is a, a very famous artist who preceded her um, she's from Louisiana and moved to Arkansas and she signed with Motown and then whoa, uh, always had a long career in music and she did a record with Isaac Hayes uh, who went on of course to Stax Records and mm -hmm. wrote a million hits over there uh, and had many hits of his own wasn't, uh, wasn't she uh chauffeuring people around for Barry Gordy? It was sort of yeah. like, there There was so much talent that, you know, hey, can you... you well, know? Martha Reeves was <laughs> was typing. Martha Reeves was answering phones, was it, in the office, and went, I can sing, and they put her and Martha Reeves in the dollars. Martha yeah. John was a she, driver. She was driving Gordy around town to appointments. In return, he coached her as a singer. Right. And what so he introduced her to Dinah Washington and Sarah Vaughn, two of my all-time favorites. Yeah. And so, and by the way, she was old enough to have met all of them. And uh, uh, let's see here. I want you to watch how, oh, right. It, it was um, Dakota Staten was the, the mm -hmm. performer she loved the most. Mm -hmm. And Gordy said, watch how she walks and talks and moves her hands. So Mabel John made this record in 1966 with Isaac Hayes. And it's a pretty groovy record here. We'll just spin it as she swirls off into the heavens. Mabel John lives forever. Uh, I'm going to, just because I can't not do it. Let's see here. Oh, where did I put it? Oh, there it is. Well, a lot of drummers here at the end. Uh, one of the oh, yes. Buddy Holly's drummer from the Crickets, uh, believe it or not, was still going, baby, and just swirled off into the heavens. His name is Jerry Allison. Of course, he played with lots of groups after that. Whoa. Uh, and... Um, he was in that original cricket group, baby, and was with him the whole time. And then uh, we we're talking about the 90s. We weren't, but I just brought it up. And I was playing somewhere south of the river in Richmond or somewhere in one of the tours in the 90s, Jennifer. I'm doing stand-up. And the crickets were there the next week. In London, you mean? In London, England in the 90s. The crickets were still touring as the crickets. 
and Jerry was still in the bloody group and Nikki, the ones that were alive wow. in the 90s, but Jerry, of course. And I remember saying to the audience, because there was a big sign out in front that said the crickets are here next week. And I said, don't you think I should come to the show and stand in front of the stage? You go, hey, fellas. Seriously. And anyway, uh, he's the drummer and you'll recognize this drumming immediately. Would have been around the same age, by the way, because they were young, baby. When they were a group, they were like teenage rock stars. And why is Buddy Holly so important? Because the Beatles and the Stones listened to the hell out of Buddy Holly. He's the, one of the first great, like Chuck Berry, singer-songwriters mm-hmm. whose name is on the song, who wrote the song and sang the song. And he produced it too, by the way, but they give credit to other people. But... Uh, he also loved um, Elvis. One of the first Stones singles in America was Not Fade Away. Yeah, superb. And one of the great stars to mention, um, Cadillacs in his song. <laughs> My love's that's, bigger than a Cadillac. That's important. How many rock songs have Cadillac in them, though? Chuck Berry has um, a, a, a coffee-colored Cadillac in Nadine, and Buddy Holly says, My love's bigger than a Cadillac. And speaking of uh, Chuck Berry, uh, Buddy Holly also covered fantastically for Brown-Eyed Handsome Man, which was a Chuck mm-hmm. Berry song, but Buddy Holly did it as well because he loved Chuck Berry. And the reason why he hiccuped was because he loved Elvis, too. So that, all that could be the delivery. In uh, watching Cabaret last night, Liza does that a couple of times. Mm. In conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she totally sort does Sort of it. a delightful <laughs> little... <laughs> oh, my God. She had so many great deliveries. There's the, the laughing while you talk delivery. The way I can't believe you. <laughs> and then that you know you want it. You know you want it. And then... <laughs> the noises and stuff. <laughs> I wanted to mention that Mabel John moved back to Los Angeles and looked after the homeless. Um, what a beautiful her person. Last year's. That's fantastic. Do you want to do Alan White and then you'll... Yeah, Alan White. We're not going to mention that he was in a band called Yes. What we are going to mention is... Of course. (laughs) Yes is a gigantic. (laughs) But what I wanted to focus on is uh, after... He he swirled away at 72, but when he was uh, quite young, he got a phone call in 1969 from John Lennon. Mm Mm-hmm. And as so often is the case, which is just hilarious, he hung up on him. What? You know, like like the story ah, about Dave Wakeling getting yeah, yeah. a call from Pete Townsend and yeah. just going, no, it's not, and yeah. hanging up. Um, I was sure it was somebody playing a joke, so I hung up. A minute later, the phone rang again, and sure enough, it was John Lennon. John Lennon wanted Alan White to join the band he was assembling for a rock and roll revival festival that year. So he shows up, and there is uh, John and Yoko, Klaus Vorman, for the Plastic Ono Band to do the live piece in Toronto 1969 album. Right. Uh, so he went from uh, Yes in London to uh, being on the Imagine album, being on Instant Karma. Wow. 
Uh, and he said it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Uh, Alan White is uh, swirling in the heavens. Um, uh, you've been the smartest crowd in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're berry bonds. We leave now with the awesome drumming of Alan White. And remember the theme of this song, Instant Karma is going to get you. Uh, what is it? You better get yourself together, darling. 